There we are. Fantastic. Okay, I want to talk about building a prophetic future. Everything that God does, he does through his word. So the Bible says that God creates through his word, but he also says in Amos that God does nothing without revealing it to his prophets. So he creates by his word, but then he gives his word as well to his prophets to show them what is going to happen so that they can live intentionally and so that his people can move into what he's got for them. And so it's always good to be ahead of the curve. It's always good to be believing God and calling things that aren't yet as though they were so that we can possess what he's got for us. Do you agree? And so God wants us to be prophetic. He wants us to have this element within us that we're not living by weather patterns, but we're living by the word of God. We're not living by predictions of, well, last year it did this, it must be this year we're going to get this. No, he wants us living more than just reading the signs. He wants us hearing his word, his voice, so that he can speak into the things that are going on in our lives. And so prophetic is part of what we believe. Would you agree? Is that okay? So I'm not talking to people who, no, 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 no. We're all happy that the word of God builds a platform for us to step into our future. So I'm going to read from 1 Kings 18. It says this, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is a sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, Go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. A great scripture and a great passage about this guy called Elijah. Now, if you go to, this is chapter 18, the end of the chapter. If you go to chapter 17, it says in, in verse 1, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe spoke to the king Ahab and said, It shall not rain except by my word. That's the quote from the first verse. We don't know anything about Elijah. We don't know where he's from except that he's from Tishbe. We don't know his background. We don't know his dad. We don't know anything about him. All we know is he makes a declaration of the word of God. And it says from that point on that heaven shut up. They closed. Instead of now the normal rainfall and the systems and all the things, the land basically goes down into lockdown and everybody is foraging now. Instead of living in the abundance, they're living in poverty. The reason for that is because Israel had turned against God and were worshipping the Asherahs and the Baals. The problem was for a nation that Ahab the king had married a Sidonian woman called Jezebel. If you've read anything in the Bible, if you've done anything about Bible study, you'll know that Jezebel is one of these demonic kind of representations, a very, very negative, powerful woman who wanted to crush the prophets and the people of God. And during Jezebel's time, it says that she basically tried to wipe out all of the prophets of God who were declaring God's word to try and rid the land of the God of Israel so that she could bring in the Asherahs and the Baals. And at this time, 850 prophets were were living 
at her table, being fed at her table, and she was looking after them to try and bring the nation under this idolatrous reign. During that time, Elijah had done different things. He'd had to look after women. And uh, yeah, I won't tell the story. You can read the chapter if you want to. But he'd come to the place in chapter 18 where he confronted Ahab on Mount Carmel. He stood as a lone prophet. As far as Elijah was concerned, he was the only one there. Obadiah had said there's other people. But he stood on his own and he said, we are going to see who God is. And so he brought this challenge to the nation. He said, draw the nation to us. Bring them all. Get everybody you can. And Ahab, you come. Bring all your prophets because we're going to have a showdown of who is God and who is not God. And so Ahab brought 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. And Elijah says this, which I find really interesting. I don't know if you find these things in the Bible. He says, the God that answers by fire, he is God. Now, if I was Elijah, knowing that God had sent him and said, go and confront Ahab because it's going to rain, I'd say the God who's going to answer by rain. Because he's already had a word on that. But he doesn't. He says the God who answers by fire. I think God loves people who push God into doing what he wants to do. Are you with me? Because what he does is he almost goes, well, God's going to bring rain. That's easy. Let's go for fire. And he almost has this faith exercise where he says the God who answers by fire anyway fire comes down the prophets are killed the nation comes back and then he makes this declaration to Ahab the rain is coming get ready go and eat and drink because the rain is coming and says he goes up onto the mountain he goes higher up and he sits he puts his knee head between his knees and he begins to pray and he says to his servant go and look goes up and looks a couple of times. Then finally the rain comes. He goes off down to Jezreel and everything is rah, rah, rah. That's the story. So I just want to break this open a little bit for us to try and understand how we need to be prophetic people. Is this okay? Just a couple of things that we need to do if we are going to move into what God has got for us. First of all, Elijah's prophetic declaration. There is a sound of a heavy rain. Elijah comes to Ahab and he says, there's the sound of a heavy rain. And I think if you were Ahab or if you were there, you would have gone, I don't hear anything. I, I don't hear anything. What, what, what are you hearing? What you, what, what's going on with you? Elijah hadn't heard a sound. He'd heard a sound. He had the word of God in back in the beginning of the chapter, go and confront Ahab because I am bringing rain. And so the word of God had come to him, and even though he couldn't see anything physically, because the day before, when he'd confronted the prophets, the sky was blue. As the, they, were, they were being slain, and Israel was rejoicing, coming back to God, saying, God, he is the Lord, the sky was blue. Now, as he makes this declaration, all of a sudden, he sees that the sky is blue. Nothing had changed, yet everything had changed. And for you and me, we need to understand that we need to be carriers of the Word of God and declarers of the Word of God before it changes, not after it's changed. It's easy to see that it's going to rain when it's falling, isn't it? You know what I mean? You walk outside and you think, oh, actually, it's raining. I need an umbrella. Everybody knows you need an umbrella when it's raining. 
It's when you grab the umbrella because you're already anticipating in God what's going to happen. That's what we need to be when we're prophetic. And Elijah makes this declaration. He stands before the king and he says, there's a sound of a heavy rain. Can you hear it? What are you hearing right now? What are you hearing in our nation? What are you hearing in the nations of the world? What are you hearing about God? Oh, God's dead. The church is dead. It's all over. We've got nothing happening. You can't believe him. God doesn't do miracles in the UK. The church is in decline. We're all going wrong. Young people don't want to know about God. Old people don't want to know about... Rubbish! That's what the media will tell you. That's what will come through the airwaves. But we've got to have a different ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. And we've got to declare what God says. God says that he's into people. He's still building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. God says that we're the head, not the tail. That greater is he that is in me than he's in the world. That we're overcomers. That we're more than conquerors. That we are victorious. I don't know how you feel this morning. But it's time to speak the word of God. Because I hear the sound of a heavy rain. You see, what we've got to do is we've got to make sure we are speaking truth... Not just speaking what we're hearing from the natural. Because we are hearing lots of stuff at the moment, aren't we? Fear, lockdown, difficulty, challenge. And it's a terrible situation for our government, so I'm not criticizing anybody. But but we are the people of God. And we need to declare of our nation. We need to declare in our prayer meetings. We need to declare, God, you are the one who said that you are the, the author of life. You're the one who declares our days. You're the one who has our times in your hands. You are the king of the universe. Three years and nothing had happened, but now the word of God comes. The word of God, right at the beginning, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And God what? God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Interesting that... The word of God comes before the change comes. The, the, the man of God makes a declaration, then the thing happens. And we need to hear God, we need to speak what God says, because we are the ones who prophesy our future, not just respond to our chaos. We need to be declaring God's word over our situations. We need to be speaking out over our lives. What's in your spirit today? What is it that God is saying to you? What is it God wants to do in your life? What does he want to do in this church? What does he want to do in this community, in this area? What does he want to do in Suffolk and Norfolk and all this east area? I tell you what he wants to do is incredible things. But we need to be speaking it, declaring it. We need to be confronting things in the spirit, in the, in the sense of the airwaves before it comes about. We need to be the church that is declaring it. As we look around us today, we are living in a very uncertain world, aren't we? Coronavirus across our world is massive challenge. I think as France said, we have not seen this much catastrophe or, or, it's in a hundred years. Lockdown in nations, different things going on, travel bans, firms, economy falling, £252 billion wiped off. The, all of these things, and we can hear it, and we can all of a sudden shudder and just think, oh, God, we got Mr. Trump in the White House. I don't know what you think of Mr. Trump, but he's very... Anything can happen with him. Good, bad, or indifference, whatever you think, he's very unpredictable, which causes the, the concern for people more and more. We've got a rise of terrorism on our streets. We've got 
a rise of right-wing and anti-Semitism. We've got knife crime. We've got all the different things that are going on, stuff happening in our nation today. Brexit still hanging over us. There's lots of things that we can listen to and be, be mindful of, but we are the people of God. And the problem is we can read the newspapers and Sky News and we can listen to the airways and we can pick up all the stuff and miss what God is saying to us today. In a time of unprecedented upheaval, he is the rock on which we stand. In a time where everything is chaos all around us, we have a king who is on the throne. And we need to know that. We need to declare that. We need to hold that true to our lives. Otherwise, what happens is we end up being blown around by every wind of doctrine that comes through our lives. And before we know it, we're, we're shaking. Whereas we can now be the light of the world. We can be the city on a hill. We can be the beacon for people around about this place. Where they don't know what to do. They don't know what's going on. And we, do, we don't want to be just talking nonsense. But we want to be confessing the word of God. Our God is faithful. Our God is a good God. He's good yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the king of all things. He is the one who says, I will forgive all your sins, and I will heal all your diseases. Now, in the Hebrew, in the original, it means all. All your sins, all your diseases. Hello? Now, I didn't make that up. I didn't say that. And we need to be speaking the word of God over our lives. God, you are the one who heals all of our diseases. We're not to give in and submit and surrender. We're to stand and confess and declare what God says. I hear the sound of a heavy rain. God ain't finished with the United Kingdom yet. He ain't finished with Europe yet. In fact, I think think what we see As all the creaking starts to happen, I think God is positioning and aligning us as the church to fill the gap, to become, if we can stand, having done all to stand, stand then. If we can be the people of God and we can declare the word of God, we are living in a world that doesn't know the right from the left. It doesn't know what's going on, but we can be what God needs us to be and we can declare what he wants us to say. This church is a city on a hill. This church is a beacon. Do you believe it? You see, we don't want to just call things. We want to name what we are. And I think prophetically, you might not feel like a beacon on a hill. You might not feel like a rallying point for the community. You might not feel, but I want to tell you that even putting the name of Beacon Church is making a prophetic declaration to this community. You're a light, you're a, you're a standard, you're somewhere that people can run to, that people can feel that there's something here for them. And when they come, make sure you make room for them. Make sure that you're open to them. Make sure that you are declaring over them the same word. God wants us to understand there is a sound of a heavy rain. In a barren land, in a famine land, in a land where things are going wrong, God is doing incredible things and we need to be open to what he's doing, don't we? Yes. God doesn't want us to ignore famine. So elbow bumps and whatever you do to say hi or whatever it is, work all that through. 
And we've got to be wise, same as everybody else. But at the same time, he's still the king of our lives. He's still the God of our lives. Second thing is Elijah's prophetic expectation. He made a declaration, but he also maneuvers himself to move into a position where he can get what God has got for him. He stood before Ahab. He's made the declaration. He said, okay, I'm going up on the hill, up on the mountain, and we're going to look now to see what happens. And so he sits down. He gets his head between his knees, and he's praying. Really interesting that God says the rain is coming, so what does Elijah do? He prays. I find it interesting in the Bible that over and over and over again, that people who hear the word of God, they don't just say, cool, rain's coming. They hear the word of God, and then they pray it. They pray it. They pray it. Why do we need to pray if God's already said? If God's already said, he's going to do it, surely. No, 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 we've got to align We've got to position ourselves in expectation. God says, I'm going to do it, but he needs a people who says he's going to do it. He needs a people who understands that, God, we're going to call down now. And Elijah sits down and he says to his servant, go and have a look quick because there's something happening. It's going to be coming. It's all moving. He's expecting on the inside. You see, he's hewed on the inside. Now he's looking for a manifestation on the outside. It's not enough for us to declare If we declare that God is going to do something incredible in our community, if Beacon Church is a prophetic declaration, are you ready for the droves of people that are going to come to this beacon? Are you ready for the people who are going to come in? Are you geared up to serve them, to connect with them, to care for them, to love them, to involve them, to be Jesus to them? Because we've got to be ready. Because if God is God and he sends people in, the last thing we want is not to be ready. So we've got to be willing and waiting in expectation. He'd heard the sound, but now he's waiting for the evidence. Once you hear God speak, you declare it. Once you declare it, you now have to sit and expect. Position yourself ready for what he's going to do. And as people, we're not positioned for what society is saying, what the news is saying, the media. We've got to respond as Sujith has already said. We've got to act correctly, but at the same time, we're the people of God. We've got to expect on the back of everything that happens, shaking that happens, that God is going to be doing stuff that nobody else can see. That he's going to be drawing people and attracting people and helping people. We've got to position ourselves. Throughout the Bible, you see that different people positioned themselves for the miracle that God was going to do. There's a woman with the issue of blood. You probably read it a thousand times maybe, or maybe you've never heard of it. There's a woman in the Bible, she has this condition. She's been bleeding for 12 years But she says this to herself, and it's interesting the way the Bible talks about it. It doesn't say she thought. She said to herself, if I just touch the edge of his cloak, I'll be healed. She made the declaration of her faith. Faith is a declaration. Then she went into the crowd where she wasn't allowed. She reached out. She touched him. Instantly, she was healed. Why? Because she positioned herself near the Savior to get what she needed. She lived in expectation. She had a confession and a declaration, but now she had to touch so that something could happen. We see the same with Bartimaeus. He's a blind man sitting outside Jericho, and it says that the people were coming out and the crowds were walking, and Bartimaeus would have heard all the din and all the noise and the different things, and all of a sudden he shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up, Bartimaeus. Doesn't say that. It just says, be quiet, but... That's what they would have said. Do you know what I mean? Be quiet. What's the matter with you? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He shouted all the more. Jesus stopped. Why did he stop? 
because of somebody who positioned themselves to be heard to God. You see, we think prayer is just, oh, God, will he do? Oh, right, okay, let's go. No, no, it's positioning. It's getting God's attention. It's moving God's hand. It's stopping God from what he would otherwise do to connect with what we need him to do. It's interceding and getting in the way. And so it says, Jesus, stop, bring him to me. And then he heals him. Zacchaeus, he's another little chap in the Bible. He's a tiny little guy. And you probably heard the story of this little guy who wanted to see Jesus, but he couldn't see him because he was so small. All the crowds were in the way. So he runs ahead of the crowd, climbs up a sycamore tree. This little Jewish man, probably in his 50s, climbing up the branches of this tree and positions himself so that when Jesus comes on, he looks up, he says, come down, I need to come to your house. And a miracle is done for him. We have to position ourselves in the presence of Jesus. We have to position ourselves in the way. We have to get in line with where he is. Why? Because expectation moves us to do things. Expectation causes us as a church, as a group, as a community, as people. We're expecting that maybe the meeting We'll have to close, so we'll be online and we'll be engaging with you. Give us your... Why? Because we understand that expectation means preparation. And preparation means connection. And preparation means that we get what God has got for us. And God is doing things in your community right now. There are people in your community right now. Your neighbors, they're fearful, they're worried, they're concerned. But more than that, God is drawing out of them. He's saying, come on, I want you to come to me. I want you to think about me. People are more conscious of God right now than they have been. Why? Because I hear the sound of a heavy rain. We've been in a, a barren land, but yet God is saying, no, 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 I'm doing great things. I don't know what you, what you think about our nation. I don't know what you see of our nation, but there are incredible things taking place. One million Anglicans pray in thy kingdom come. A million Anglicans. No, no, Anglicans don't pray. They just, no, no. A million Anglicans praying together. Cathedrals full of young people where the older people are asked to get outside so the young can come in. Tons of things happening. Alpha has seen millions of people across the globe sitting down here in 10 weeks of information about Jesus and millions of people come to Jesus. Cap has seen two and a half thousand people broken out of poverty and a thousand people respond to Jesus. There has moves. The biggest churches that our planet has ever known are right now. London is full of amazing, incredible churches. A church in London, one church with 40,000 in an all-night prayer meeting. God's not doing anything. No, it's just that we're listening to the wrong sound. We're listening to the wrong voice. And when we're in our communities and we're locked in doing the things that we do and getting on with stuff, it's easy to think God's doing nothing. But I want to say to you, God is on the move. There is a sound of a heavy rain. And we need to move ourselves in expectation. We need to move up the mountain a little bit. Stop staying in the valley. God's not going to come into your valley. He says, come on, come with me. Come with me. Come on, you need to come up. You need to come up. You need to come up. Why? Because God doesn't dwell in valleys. And he's not going to come and lift us out of the valley. He's calling us out of the valley. Come on up. And he says to Elisha, he comes up onto the mountain so that he can begin to pray. I know you've got a prayer meeting this week. Your last one before your launch. Come out. Come and pray. But don't pray. 
Oh, God, you know, if you want to, God, you know that you're doing incredible things. We just thank you in Jesus' name that you are the overcomer. We thank you that Barry has changed in Jesus' name. I don't know if you call it Barry or what do you call it, but (laughs) thank you for the tons of people that you're already working on. Thank you for the family members you're changing. Thank you for the things that you're going to do. Thank you mobilizing your church so that we can be the answer to our communities. Why? Because we expect a move of God. Do you expect a move of God? Not just for the church, but in your life. Are you looking for what God can do? So he sat there in expectation. Then Elijah's prophetic indication. He says, he sits down and he prays and he says to his servant, poor servant. Every prophet had a servant at his number two. Okay, I need you to go and have a look to see if anything's changing. Where do you want me to look? Well, go and have a look at the sea because the cloud is going to rise off the sea. The land is dry. There's nothing happening on the land. So it's inevitably out on the sea. So I want you to go and have a look. So the servant says, okay, it's boiling hot. It's famine. They ain't got water to just splash around. So he's just had a little drink and now he has to climb. Okay. So he climbs up. I don't know how long it took him. Elijah's down the bottom. He's up the top and he's looking and thinking, blue sky, nothing but blue sky. Nothing going on around here. Hey, Elijah, what did you see? Nothing. Go and have another look. What are you talking about? I've just been there. There's nothing. No, go and have another look. Expectation doesn't stop just because somebody says there's nothing. Just because somebody says, I don't see anything, doesn't mean it's not going on. So the servant goes up again. I bet he was walking up to the stinking Elijah. He's sitting down there. Why am I on this? Looks out of the sea again. Blue, hanging, hanging around two minutes. If I go down too quick, he's just going to tell me the same. So he, I don't know. He rangs around half hour, goes down, walks back down. So what have you seen? Nothing. There's nothing there. Go and have another look. Elijah, I've just told you, go and have a look. God's doing something. Go and have a look. We need you to see what is happening. Up he goes again. Seven times. Seven times he has to go and look. We stop after one. We've had a look. Nothing's changed. We spoke to our neighbor. Nothing shifted. We invited them to come to church. They don't want to come. No, they're not interested. What do you mean they're not interested? They're totally interested. It's just that you stop before they understand they're interested. God says this. God says there's a gap in every human being that God fits. Every human being. Can you remember what it felt like? Maybe you're here this morning and you just come to church and you're having a look and you're wondering what's going on. I want to tell you, God loves you. He is fanatical about you. He's drawn you by his grace, by his love, and he's got an incredible life for you. I remember first... Ten years of my mother saying to me, and she, you know, talk about seven times, nearly every day. Remember, Gray, God loves you. Remember, Gray, God loves you. God's got his hand on you. God's got his hand on you. God, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I was getting wilder and wilder on the outside, but inside it was crumbling. Full of fear, full of guilt, full of all of the negative feelings, and God was just churning me up, but I looked as if I didn't care. I was getting more and more drunk. I was getting more and more antagonistic, more and more shouting at them. And yet, the work that God... You see, she saw something 
beyond what she saw. And you and me, we can look at blue sky and we can think it's blue. But on the seventh time, he walked up and he looks out at the sky and says, see, there's nothing. What is it? That's different. And it says he sees a cloud rising the size of a man's fist. Just slowly rising. And it was enough for him to go down. And he says, Elijah, he said, what do you see? Well, it's exactly the same, but, well, slightly different. I've just seen a cloud the size of a man's fist. Elijah doesn't say, oh, I better stay praying. He says, that's it, it's on. Let's go quick. It's going to rain. It's going to chuck it down. Just one little fist was enough indication for him to see that God was doing what he said he was doing. I wonder how many of us missed the fist. One, because we don't go and keep looking. And two, when we do look, we're not really looking. You see, if the skies grew black, it's easy to say, oh, the rain's on the way. But you've got to start running before the rain comes, not after the rain comes. You've got to start preparing before the rain comes, not after the rain. It's too late when this church is full of people, desperate in need, and you're trying to disciple people, and you don't know what to do about it. Oh, what are we going to do with them? God's just, we've got to prepare for what is going to happen. We've got to be ready for it. Elijah prayed. He sent his servant. His servant came down, and everything shifted. Everything shifted. If, I don't know what you feel about our nation at the moment. I don't know where you feel we are. There was a survey done by Evangelical Alliance two years ago. It came out, and the survey, when it first came out, it came out three years ago, and Evangelical Alliance said, what, what, normal surveys, they look at a 1,000, just over a 1,000 people. They get all the different information. When they pulled all the information together, they said, no, this must be wrong. So... They brought it to the leaders of Evangelical Alliance. Evangelical Alliance leaders said, uh, no, no, this is wrong. You, you need to send it back out. There must be misinformation. So they took it, instead of doing 1,000, they did 5,000 people, which is unheard of for a social experiment when you're trying to find out what's going on for demographics and all the rest of it. When the information came back in, it reemphasized what they'd already known. This survey, you can, you can actually download it to go on Evangelical Alliance. You can look at it all. But actually, they found that our nation is completely different to what they thought it was. We are a, most of the time, we talk about post-Christian. We thought we were pre-Christian. Pre-Christian means that we're so far away from where God is that we, you know, we're off the charts. We're actually, we got young people, and there are some young people who don't know about Jesus, never heard the name Jesus, except in the swear word. And so they did this survey, and it says they found 7% of all that they surveyed were Christian in, in outworking some kind of... They went to church at least once a month. They read the Bible and they prayed. 7%. Not 1%, not 2%, 7%. In London, they reckon it's about 20%. 20% of, of 11 million people. That's massive, significant amount of people in our capital city. Now, that could be because of a lot of people moving into the area from different nations, all of that. For youth, it's 13% said that they had a Christian understanding and heritage. So they do some kind of Christian activity. Of the others, 51% of adults and 28% of youth said they were non-practicing Christians. That means that they hold to a line of, yeah, I'm a Christian because I was born. 
but they identify themselves. 51% of our nation identifies themselves with a Christian heritage. Why is that good news? It's good news because when you step up to somebody, you're not talking a foreign language like we thought we were. We're actually talking to people who understand something about church and something about the background that is into us. 67% of adults in England, this is England, it's not Wales and Scotland, England, 67% say that they know a practicing Christian. So that's good news, isn't it? Hopefully. It depends what that Christian is like, because (laughs) 40% say they were a friend, and 33% said a family member. So this is now people in our nation saying, I'm not a Christian, but I've got friends who are a Christian. So I'm in touch, I'm in connection with a Christian. I'm connecting with them. What are the positives about these people? So I was in a meeting when they were putting this to all the national leaders of the nation and doing all different things, and I thought, oh, here we go. Listen to this, because I think this is startling. This is of unsaved or unchurched people in our nation today. 67%, 65% of adults say they think Christians are friendly. That's good news, isn't it? I thought it was good news. 67% of youth. 51% say we're caring. 52% of youth. 46 percent of adults say the Christians they knew were good humored. I think that's a miracle. I think, I think if you want a miracle, that is a miracle. The change in face of Christianity. Seriously, because I don't think if you'd have asked that 20 years ago, we would have been good humored. But what's happening? Seriously, you know what I mean? Because I think the church has changed. We've shifted. That's what it says. The church has actually aligned itself well to reach people and connect with people because we understand that we were Well, when I got saved, my mum has been saved 40 years. When she walked into the church, she was asked, have you ever had a divorce? Because if you have, you're not coming in. That's what she was asked. She said, no, I haven't. Okay, you can come in. And they put a hat on her head. Genuine before God. That's what Pentecostal church down in Wales. And I know it's Wales, but that's what she was asked. You wouldn't find that in a church today, which means we've done some work. But I want you to know that people in our community are open to the church, open to the gospel. It, the question was asked, there are some negatives, some sources of narrow-minded, hypocritical, homophobic, and different things like that, but, but they weren't huge. When they were asked, uh, how do non-Christians or unchurched people react when they talk about Jesus? 19%, that's nearly 20%, one in five people said they are open to an experience or encounter with Jesus. I find that astounding. Every fifth conversation you have with somebody who is unchurched or would say, I'm not a believer, is open to a conversation. That stat is off the charts in what we think. Now, just imagine if you and me could mobilize, and if every one of us spoke to five people over the next month, how many people are going to come to church because they're into a conversation about Jesus? Do you know why? Because Jesus is the best news that anybody, best news I've ever heard. At 32 years I've been serving Jesus, I have not for one second thought, oh, I wish I'd never done it. I love Jesus more today than I've ever done. I love his church. I love his people. I love what he is because he's incredible. And you would say exactly the same because when people taste and see that the Lord is good, you know what they find? That he's good. And they're open to it. And you and me are frightened to talk to them because we think, oh, they don't want to know. We say the no for them. God says, no, you've got to see through different eyes. You've got to hear what my spirit is saying to you. This nation is ripe 
Because people want a hope and a future. And where do they get that from? The God of the universe gives it to them. I tell you, we are living in incredibly powerful days. Final thing, Elijah's prophetic acceleration. Having heard the cloud is rising, he goes down and it says this. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Elijah has this supernatural empowering where he runs before the chariot into this city of Jezreel. Jezreel means sowing. The name Jezreel means sowing or sowing of the Lord. And so the rain, I want you to see, the rain is coming. Ahab is going into the city and Elijah is running into the city of sowing and the rain comes on sodden ground where there's seed has already fallen and where there's seed in the soil, up comes an explosion of growth. And I want to say to you, right, and I want you to hear this, please hear me, this church has been sowing for generations. People in this church have sown for decades and decades. You have been sowing into communities, sowing into things, sowing into into people, sowing into the soil of Bury St. Edmunds and the areas all around you. You've sown into children, you've sown into youth, you've sown into different things where the seed of God has gone and it's lain dormant for decades. But I want to say to you, I hear the sound of a heavy rain. Because when the rain comes, dust turns into rivers. And before you know it, there's movement taking place and life comes. Have you ever seen your garden in the summertime when it's you know, one of them freak times where we have more than four days without rain. Your, your grass is dry, barren. There's nothing growing. You think, oh, we can't use the hose pipe. And then all of a sudden, it rains one night. And what happens? The whole thing turns green in a moment. Why? Because the green was hidden in the brown. The life is hidden in the death. The, the new is hidden in the old. And I want to say to you, There are are stuff in your life that God has been talking to you about. There's there's seeds inside of you of destiny, of kingdom. And when the rain starts falling, up those come in an instant. Things that you've sown into that have taken years and years and years. You think it'll never work. It'll never happen. My husband will never come. My family will. There is a sound of a heavy rain. And when the rain comes, life comes and everything springs up. When the rain comes, that which took a year happens in a day and what does God say with me a day is like a thousand years a thousand years like a day the other final thing when the rain comes on barren ground you would think that it just saturates and soaks it all up the problem is it's so dusty and it's so hard that it doesn't and what happens is and you'll see this in different nations around the world when the rain comes what happens is it becomes a torrent that drives through different areas and so if you've got boulders in the way and cars in the way or whatever it is comes down from the mountain it smashes into the towns into the places not because the rain is so extreme but because it's been so dry it hasn't saturated in it just moves it removes all the stuff all the blockages and creates a river of life i want to prophesy over this church you are beacon church 
The rain is coming and you are going to see rivers of life flowing out of your innermost being, out of your meetings. This is the temple of God. There's going to be new life. There's going to be new energy. There's going to be a new working of the spirit. You have to believe God. You have to position yourself. You have to expect. You have to anticipate. And you have to move into what God has got for you. Because your best days are not behind that ahead of you. God is not finished in this place. God is not finished with you. There are seeds in your life that lie in dormant. They've been there for decades. You've been hurt in church. You've been offended. You've been upset. You've, things have happened. Things have got in the way and blocked up. All the stuff that was going to bring life. And God says, my spirit is going to flow. And you're going to see a new day coming like you have never imagined. Thus say the Lord. <laughs>